It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm David Marsland and this is The Leader. Ladies and gentlemen... The President-Elect of the United States, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. and Dr. Jill Biden. The inauguration ceremony brought all the brass and uniforms you'd expect for the swearing-in of a US president. But Joe Biden picking up the keys to the White House isn't the only historic moment being marked. That's the marching band for Howard University, alma mater of one Kamala Harris, vice president of the United States. They were her escort for the day at Capitol Hill, and Miss Harris's rise is of considerable historical significance. She's not just the first woman to get the job, she's the first black woman and the first Asian woman. Put her portrait alongside every previous incumbent of the office, all of them white men, and you'll see the difference. I'm joined now by the Evening Standard columnist Aisha Hazarika. Aisha, what does this moment mean for you? It means everything. And I know that sounds so sort of gushy and and over the top, but after the really brutal four years we've had, particularly on race and gender from, from Donald Trump, it just, and not just in America, you know, here as well, it just means everything. And there is a lot of poetry in her becoming the first ever vice president, the first woman, first woman of colour, as as you said. Let's give this a name. Let's call Donald Trump's reign what it was. It was founded on racism. It really, really was. And and I, I have kind of struggled to say that over four years, but now I have absolutely no hesitancy saying that right from the Obama birther lie to one of the first things he did was the, the, the Muslim ban. So in a way, you know, it's such karmic revenge that probably the two strands of humanity he hates the most, women and people of colour, have morphed together in the form of Kamala Harris and she is going to be the vice president. And what what is so great about her is that she's not I don't think the relationship he, she has with Joe Biden means she's going to be a kind of tokenistic vice president she I think is going to be a co-partner with him and one day hopefully she may well become the um, president how important is it then I mean you said that she's not going to be one of those quiet vice presidents I think it's pretty clear that she's going to be front and center like you said how important is is that not just for her own ambitions, clearly to take the top job itself as president, but for young girls, 
young woman of color to see her taking a really prominent role, not just in the US, but on an international stage. She is literally one of the most powerful women in the world now. That's absolutely right. And I think it's really important that her position and her power um, are, are honoured in real life. I mean, one of the things that would be an absolute travesty is, you know, having smashed these huge, important glass ceilings. And then she was a sort of um, de a decorative vice president. She was a sort of a, a token of, hey, hey, we're really diverse and She's got to have power in real life. She has got to have a seat at that table. She's got to be by Joe Biden's side. She has to have real power, not just the appearance of power. And yes, that will be incredibly important to, as you say, women, people of colour, you know, young women in terms of aspiration. But I think it's going to be important for men as well. And I think it's going to be important to show not just in politics, but any type of, type of leadership position that men and women can share power as equals and that men and women can work alongside each other with you know mutual respect but equal power and i think joe biden will do that look of course he is the president but he strikes me as a very emotionally intelligent human being as well and i think the optic of Joe and Kamala side by side, healing America, restoring America to greatness. That's an important optic, not just to want wannabe political girls, aspiring girls who might want to be politicians. That is a signal to send to every business organization in the world, every NGO, every organization saying, look, this is what modern leadership looks like. And if we can do it, as you know, as leaders of the free world, you can do it too. Do you think, though, there might be some issues between Joe Biden and Kamala Harris because she clearly wants that top job, but also she's more to the left of Biden in her politics. And also before becoming vice president, her and Joe did have a few rows during those debates on, on who was going to run for the actual presidency as well. Can that sort of relationship with those... Uh, kind of ambitious people. Can that work within a government? I think it can, but you are right to highlight that they certainly had very spirited, heated moments during those uh, presidential, the, the early sort of um, nomination um, debates. And she really came at him hard, particularly on race. Like she was really super tough on him. But I think the fact that they have come together, the fact that he picked her, even though that she was like, you know, the toughest one that he had to, to face, the fact that he picked her means that I think he likes her because she's a strong woman. He likes her because she isn't afraid to say what she thinks. And also he owes her big time because he is this old white dude who is great, but pretty establishment. She gave him an injection. I mean, she literally brought colour to his campaign, like literally, you know, she made him look like he was a progressive. He did care about the black vote and the ethnic minority vote. And that is not inconsequential. That was massive. That was germane to um, the win. But as we, as we know, sometimes um, rivalrous political unions can be difficult. You look at Gordon Brown and, and, and Tony Blair, for example. But I think this is different. I mean, I can't see Joe Biden doing a second term, but I think he will want her to be his legacy because if she rises up, that makes him look good. What a legacy to have a, a kind of a better America and you helped 
a woman of color who is absolutely brilliant. It's not a tokenistic thing, but you did the right thing by helping her, not cutting her down. And if so much of the last four years has been about race, as you believe, Aisha, even as a woman in the UK, have those issues in the United States affected you yourself? Oh, massively, David. And um, I've, I've written a column about it um, in The Standard. He put race on the agenda and bigotry and prejudice from literally the beginning of his presidency. And for me, the policy that impacted me straight away was the, the, the Muslim man, because it was like a dog whistle kind of woofed out around the world from the White House, which is like, Muslims are bad. And it started to seed the route for this kind of horrible sort of white supremacist agenda. And I myself kind of felt it. You know, I would always have a heated debate about politics, about policies, left, right, economics. Totally fine. You know, I'm a Glaswegian. I'm pretty feisty. I can handle myself. Suddenly, I'm having all these debates where it's all about are all Muslims terrorists? And I'm having to like apologize for 9-11. I mean, I was working that day, so I had nothing to do with it. But it was just, you know, the whole frame changed. And I think he made it okay to do that sort of thing and say that kind of thing. Our, our worst fears was we had grown up in an era where most politicians were now showing that they were decent people and saying, look, the rules are, you don't negotiate on racism. You accept that like racism is a is a bad thing. And that was politicians of all political stripes. That was a comfort for us. That was like a safety net. And then suddenly, because we always feared someone like Donald Trump would come along, and then he did. And it has been a very, I think, traumatic period for Muslim people, for black people, for people of, of colour in America, here, and indeed all across the world, because he sort of made racism great again. Have you changed then over the last four years? Have any of your attitudes changed? Can you go back to being the Aisha Hazarika of four years ago again? I don't think I definitely can. I mean, I used to be sort of quite mild-mannered and <laughs> just trying to fuse everything with a joke, and I'm like, rah, 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 and I'm like, I'm quite sort of... But the thing is, I don't think I'd ever... Like, when I... When I had, was growing up, I used to hear like occasionally would have like, not just occasionally, probably on quite a regular basis, the P word or something quite horrible said about. But that did change as I like, you know, into my late teens and into my 20s. I do think Britain definitely civilized. So suddenly to be, you know, attacked again, just basically on the basis of your religion or the color of your skin or your, or your race. Of course I was angry. I was confused as well. I felt quite discombobulated by it all because things that I had trusted, like suddenly were all being sort of ripped apart. So I don't think I will ever go back. But in a way, I suppose the one thing I will thank Donald Trump for was that I think he's definitely made me much more of a political activist. I mean, I worked in politics before, but I was at you know quite a senior level of politics, working on you know communications, on strategy, on policy. I wasn't probably at the coal face of activism, but Donald Trump made me a political activist because I was being attacked. I suddenly realised I have literally got skin in the game, brown skin or beige skin at the moment because I'm so pale. Um, in the game, 
in terms of you have to make your voice heard. I went on my first proper march just after Donald Trump was elected, the, the Women's March, because one of the first executive orders he signed was restricting women's right to contraception and um, reproductive health. I then ended up speaking at the rally when against him when he came. So I think he probably activated a side in me that hadn't needed to be activated before because I genuinely, I'm not saying there was no racism in Britain, that is not true, but that kind of really overt, nasty, visible racism, it was nowhere near what it is, what it was after Trump. He After he came in, it kind of exposed loaded and I suppose that just made me it frightened me um I got a lot of abuse you know go back to where you came from and I'm like I can't go back to Glasgow if they wouldn't have me anymore but you know you and that does that does change you it does make you a bit more nervy makes you a bit more I suppose suspicious of people what I hope though is that hasn't changed me so much I don't still I mean I still fundamentally believe that people are good and we do I believe that we want to live alongside each other and get on and you've got to be very careful to not let because what he wants is division and you've got to be careful to not get sucked into that how quickly can things be put back to something like normal is it just going to be a right that's it done. That period is over. It was a bit weird. Now we can go back to doing things normal. How fast can that be done? Can it be done? How important is the role of Joe Biden and particularly Kamala Harris in this? I don't think it can just be turned around overnight or even particularly quickly. Donald Trump didn't just come out of, of nowhere and the, the feelings around race particularly existed before um, Donald Trump came along. He came along and sort of like allowed the genie to come out the bottle. Well, it is out now and it's going to be really, really hard to get it back in. I don't know if you will ever um, be able to get it back in. You know, it's it's kind of a war of, of eternal vigilance. But I do think how they restore some kind of trust and how they convince people, particularly some of those Trump voters to sort of come over to them is they have to show competence really, really quickly. They've got to show results on getting a grip on COVID and they've got to show some results on the economy. So I think they can, they can restore some order if they get some quick wins in fast but they have got a mountain to climb I mean it must be you know for any prime minister or president who takes over yes you have to think about the people who voted for you but you also have to remember that a lot of people you know didn't as well that's what you should do if you're a good leader and you should remember that you you are there of course to honor the trust placed in you by people who voted for you in the ballot box you are also there to govern for the whole country even if they hate you even if they want to attack you you still have to govern for them and that's the leader podcast we're back tomorrow at 4 p.m if you enjoyed our show with george osborne yesterday check out the lockdown sessions on our youtube channel you'll find an extended video chat there Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. 
The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.